Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else close the wall up with our English dead. Uh, welcome back to a second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake McClure and... Jeff McClure. Uh, we are here to guide you through the extremely boring and dismal science of economics to enlighten you with uh, such statistical anomalies as whether or not uh, someone answered the phone to take a survey. Very exciting yes. stuff. Well, we can talk a little about the economy since we don't have any fresh questions. By the way, we are available to answer your questions or hear your comments or read your comments, at least if you want to send an email to either Jeff at tpwc.com or Jake at tpwc.com. There's yes. a good chance, I think, that we will see and it will see employment shrink, numbers a number of employed people shrink in the month of December. Why? Because we had a 885,000 people apply for unemployment insurance, initial initial unemployment insurance last week. And, and so, people in the middle of this week, we have had a massive winter storm. It had a name. It did. It was named Gale. Mm. Um, well, Gale's been here before. Yeah, uh, Gale's shown up as a winter storm, and she uh, is probably doing what winter storms do usually when they hit, which is slow down the economy. They take a dump. Uh, in many of the talk shows, uh, I, I heard one the other day, Gale's back, which is the name of your mom's uh, friend from the knitting club, and uh, with her comes... Uh, winter and knocks you into your house you are now stuck inside which is in many ways no different than any other day since march well her last name is nor'easter gail nor'easter nor'easter when that happens and this is one of those things that i have i have given this little question to uh undergrad econ students for years and years if you look at the gross domestic product of the united states uh, generally speaking, seven out of 10 years, the first quarter is smaller than the other three quarters as far as growth goes. Why is that? And I get some really, really sophisticated and intelligent answers about Christmas time and buying patterns and people are done with shopping and all these things. And, and they're really sophisticated answers, but they're not right. The correct answer is that the economy tends to slow down when it's really cold. Both the behavior of people that are buying uh, changes because it's harder to drive out there. You have to bundle up a lot more to do the things. And just as a quick example, New York City is doing outdoor dining only. I don't think a lot of that's going to be going on right now. So we have a combination of a Northeaster and covid requiring outdoor dining only which is to say that people are not eating out literally not eating out do you, do you see what i did with the outdoor yeah. and the out i'm I'm, I'm very hilarious i kill me you are you are and so what we were saying is that we wouldn't well, be a bit surprised to see us dip back into recession for the next quarter well for the month of november we had a net gain of two hundred and roughly 225,000 jobs. That's a good thing. It's not a great thing, but it's a good thing. 
But if we've had an increase of 169,000 in two weeks in the number of people who will be laid off in the middle of December, pretty good chance that we're not going to see much in the way of gains in December. Now, you never can tell until it actually comes out. By the way, when you say when the when the Labor Department comes out and says, hey, uh, for the month of November, we had this much growth. They come out pretty quickly. They actually do a survey, the, the survey, the household survey they do to determine what the unemployment rate is is done in the middle of the month in one week. So you don't know what's going on for the whole month. It's just that one week, that one snapshot when they call around to a lot, a lot of people, and hopefully the a representative number of people answer the phone, and they ask them, are you working? Are you looking for work? Uh, and they figure out that's where they get the unemployment rate from, which is becoming less and less accurate because fewer and fewer people are answering the telephone. Yeah. That, and that's what I was making the exciting news of whether or not someone answered their telephone. Actually, kind of important when we're looking at statistics in the market, uh, statistics in the economy. If you're out of work and you're not answering the phone, then that particular survey doesn't know you're out of work. Very much like the election polls, what was found to be true again and again and again is that the supporters of the current president uh, that the president Trump are less likely to answer their phone calls for a survey for very good reason. They're not fond of the company that's taking the survey. If the Washington post calls a, a supporter of Donald Trump, it's very unlikely that that supporter will answer the phone. Washington post. What is that? No fake news. So the surveys go off. So you get these surveys that say, for sure, this is going to be the way the election goes. And no, the margin of error is only 2%. Uh, no. It was a time when that was very accurate, but it's not anymore. Back when we had landlines and people can routinely answered the phone, and if Gallup or somebody they recognized asked them to do a survey, they trusted them. But we're getting so much junk in the way of junk telephone calls, even on our cell phones now, that it's ridiculous. So yeah. people... If I see a telephone number that I don't recognize, I generally don't answer the phone. Yeah, that's that kind of sums it up. And and if you get a, a letter in the mail that has a dollar in it, that's some people are actually taking those surveys. There's um there's something that supports that uh, information about the extra layoffs that makes me think it's probably real. The Census Bureau reported the U.S. retail and food services sales for November declined 1.1 percent from October. In other words, what we're seeing is the very thing you're talking about is that it gets colder. And as the coronavirus continues to accelerate in the United States and probably will accelerate more, by the way, a lot more. We're seeing the, the people who were working who had been hired back in many cases to work at restaurants and places like that or getting laid off again. Uh, by the way, we th I think this may accelerate. The United Kingdom is reporting that there is a new variant of the coronavirus going around that is apparently still effectively uh, prevented by the vaccine, but is 70% more transmissible than the original virus, which means that we will probably, if that spreads, and it almost certainly will, in the United States, we will probably see a much greater acceleration in coronavirus infections and many more people infected. So what we're saying there is stay careful. Just because the vaccine is coming out doesn't mean we have access to it yet. If you do have access to it, 
stay careful anyway, just because it's a good example. Um, this, I can come back to this. We said this last hour. As economists, we don't make judgments on health. It sounds like we're talking about health a lot, but it really focused down the economy is running differently, very differently because of the pandemic. If we ignored the statistics on the pandemic, it would be far worse than ignoring profit margins and employment data because its cause is the pandemic. If we don't study the cause, regardless of whether or not you believe it exists, it has caused a change in behavior because enough people do believe it exists. We tend to believe that it exists because, well, we know people that have died from it. That makes it really easy to believe in the thing. Uh, it, it makes it really easy to take precautions. Those of you that don't know anybody that's gotten sick and don't know the extremity of suffering that comes with it, you're welcome to believe it's not real, but you should still make your decisions based on recognizing that the behavior of the population has changed because the majority of the population believes it's real. Then you can believe whatever you want and still be making good decisions. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, and that is, that's the important piece here is if you're going into a store that requires a mask, you can get upset and say, hey, I don't want to buy here anymore. Or you can say, all right, they're honestly afraid of something and if they're afraid of me carrying a lit torch into their building, I may be the best in the world at carrying around a lit torch. I may be an Olympic athlete, and I'm just hanging out with a lit torch. But if they don't want me to carry it in their building, it's their right to say no. On a completely different subject, uh, we had a, a listener who gave us some updated information on what happens with the Social Security deferment, uh, to, at least with the government. So last year, if, or last week, those of you that re remember the OASDI question, the old age and survivor disability insurance question on Social Security, if you work for the military or the government at all, and quite a few larger corporations, and you had your payroll tax suspended, you got a little raise. Well, we have a very clear response from the U.S. government as far as their actions for the civilian side of the U.S. government, at least. I think probably it will apply across the board because I think the, the civilian side of the government keeps tabs with the IRS on how to handle this. The bottom line to it is that, A, it will be taken back from you in the first quarter, the deferment in the, in the last quarter of this year that the president authorized will be taken back from you in the first quarter, so your pay will go down. Secondly, if you leave work and you've had a pay deferment, then what will happen is it'll be either taken from your last paycheck, everything that you still owe, or if they can't take it from your last paycheck, uh, you owe the money to the IRS. Yeah, specifically, it's slightly longer than the first quarter. Uh, they'll start January 1st, but you don't get paid January 1st for the work you do January 1st. That generally starts somewhere around the 16th. And the Social Security taxes deferred in 22 will be collected in eight installments between pay periods ending January 16 and April 24. And so by the, the way, last paycheck in April 30th. How's that for complicated? Yeah, and thank you, Steve, for giving us that information. We really appreciate it. Yeah.
Uh, that's not easily available information, and there are still a lot of CPAs and the networks of CPAs that don't have that information. So they've provided it to the employees that are going to have a pay cut because you're going to have the Social Security tax start again, which will lower the income so your raise goes away, and they're going to be clawing back some of the money that you got paid, so you're actually going to get a pay cut below what you normally make between January 16th and April 30th. There's a couple of things out there that are pretty interesting. We mentioned earlier that the Federal Reserve, uh, by the way, there are two new members of the Federal Reserve Board, yeah. or one Federal Reserve Board, and one, one not. Uh, Mr. Waller. Christopher Waller. Doctor. Christopher, Judy Shelton didn't, which yeah. is good. Because Judy Shelton was um, a bit quirky. She believed in going back to the gold standard and doing away with the Federal Reserve, according to her published works in the recent past. And I really don't think having a member of the Federal Reserve Board who believed in doing away with the Federal Reserve and going to the gold standard was a good idea, which is a good subject, by the way, to talk about. We get that every once in a while. Right. There's a very good reason going back to the gold standard would be a terrible idea. The price of gold fluctuates dramatically in the open market. It didn't when we were on the gold standard. It was $35 an ounce. Why? Because it was illegal to hold or speculate in gold in the United States or in any of the major countries that were on the gold standard with us, part of the Bretton Woods Agreement. So people didn't speculate in gold because it was illegal. So what happened was the United States, in order to go on the gold standard, confiscated all of the gold other than jewelry that people held in the United States. You were required to turn it in and sell it to them for $35 an ounce without regard to what you paid for it. Yeah. And people who want to go to the gold standard are often shocked to find out that the United States government would have to pass a bill confiscating all the gold holdings of all the people in the United States. And I know a lot of people who wouldn't give it up and thereby would be criminals. All right. Uh, the monetary gold confiscated. So if you got your coins that you're holding from the U.S. Mint, they would be confiscated by the government because unless you wanted to use them as currency for the $35, whatever it would be caused now. And the bullion at the time, when the United States took it, they took all the bullion too. I mean, didn't have any choice. You had a certain period of time, you had to turn it in. If you were found with gold after that time, you were a criminal. And and to, to come back really quickly to the, the Federal Reserve, Christopher Waller, he's got a PhD in economics. Um, and that would normally call him, I would, I would call him a doctor. The Wall Street Journal only called medical doctors doctors. They got into some hot water this week over that, just as a side note, because uh, the first lady is a doctor of education. She has a PhD. The D in PhD is doctor, and it's a doctorate degree. She's not a medical doctor, and the opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal was, don't call yourself doctor. And so a lot of feminists were very upset, but it is the policy of the Wall Street Journal and has been for over a century to only call medical doctors doctor. So I don't know what the, what the problem is that they should just look at it and say this is an old way of doing it. But I would call uh, Christopher Waller Dr. Waller. Uh, he is, uh, his research is on monetary theory, political economy and macroeconomic theory. He's a fantastic person to be on the Federal Reserve. And he was nominated by President Trump at the same time that he nominated a, a whole series of people that the Senate was, the Republicans on the Senate said, no, we're not doing that. He also nominated Christopher Waller, 
who is a great economist. There's um, another little thing that's happening that's unusual, and you have to be a student of economic history to realize it's unusual. Normally, at the first sign of recovery, the Federal Reserve begins to pull back its quantitative easing or anything that it was doing to help the economy. And we've seen the signs of recovery for several months now. The Federal Reserve, uh, when, when, when they met and then the chairman of the Federal Reserve came out and decided and gave his news conference, um, he made a very interesting comment and very significant historically. The Federal, he pledged that the Federal Reserve will continue to support the economy with low interest rates and with asset purchases, and they're doing a lot of asset purchases right now, to keep the interest rates low, as long as it took to bring the economy back to full health. That could be years. And that's very significant because in the Great Depression, we actually came out of the Great Depression in the mid-1930s, and the Federal Reserve immediately pulled back, as did the Congress, all support for the economy, and we slid into the second leg of the Great Depression, which is one of the re- – and it was worse than the first one in many ways. We've done that consistently over the years, and it has taken us a long time to recover. For, for example, very recently in the 2008-2009 recession, the Federal Reserve backed off its support for the economy fairly rapidly – because they were afraid of triggering inflation. Of course, they didn't trigger any inflation because there wasn't any, but it took us a long time to recover. And economists have studied this very carefully and concluded that it took us probably five years longer to recover because the with the support was withdrawn too soon. So this time they said, we're going to stick with it. We're going to continue to hold interest rates near zero. We're going to continue to purchase uh, both treasuries and mortgage bonds to keep interest rates low as long as it takes to get back up to full employment and get back up to a stable economy, which most economists are recommending, suggesting that it will take us through 2023. It'll be 2024 before we get back to a good, healthy economy. Now, th- there's generally nine members of the Federal Reserve Board that are appointed by the president. There's one vacancy right now, and there's one member left that was appointed by Barack Obama. The other seven were appointed by Donald Trump. They're moving very, very rapidly in the Trump administration with some help from Senator Tooney to withdraw the ability for the Federal Reserve to get emergency loan funding from the Treasury Department, which doesn't make a lick of sense to me. This is a extremely uh, elite group of economists that are running the Federal Reserve right now, and the vast majority of them were appointed by Donald Trump for the outgoing president to take away their power because I'm, well, I, the only guess I could have is that Joe Biden might get credit for the recovery if he doesn't. I don't, I don't understand this. It's actually the senator to me that's, that's blocking the provision of the bill. He wants added to the bill, the spending bill, a provision that forbids the Treasury to give money to the Federal Reserve to support the economy. Right. So, and th- this is a piece we touched this last hour. Why is the spending bill in question? We have a two-day spending bill. We have to, as of Sunday at midnight, we have to have another bill passed by Congress or the government and, shuts down. And signed by the president. And signed by the president. Uh, which would not be a good thing at this point in a recession. It would be really, really bad in a recession because all the government spending would stop at that point. 
And the sticking point is that provision of the bill that Senator Toomey wants that prevents the Federal Reserve from receiving any money from the Treasury to support the economy if we go back into a second leg of the recession. The commentary I'm reading, and this is neutral commentary from the Wall Street Journal and other places, is that it is a political move so that if a recession occurs in the new administration, it will be it will be it will be worse. It's that simple. Yeah. Uh, and it is a it is a political move. It is not a nice thing to do. When when it, the Federal Reserve Board, Chairman Powell, Christopher Waller, who was just appointed and just approved by the president when they're asking the president and the secretary of treasury and they have in writing to maintain these emergency loans which have not been touched the federal reserve isn't jumping in there and and making big loans on these things it's just there in case and they have formally requested in writing that they maintain and the current administration is just simply saying no and then Senator Tooney, after a long talk with the president, is also saying we're going to remove the ability for it to get renewed next year unless Congress passes another bill. That's pure politics, and it has to do with, uh, with the election and hard feelings, and the reality is that's really bad for the entirety of the country. Uh, the Federal Reserve was appointed vast majority by this president i don't understand why he would handcuff them as his last move in office but uh, he might have a plan i don't know i i don't understand it it's not something that i think is catastrophic unless we have the government shut down well we have another question from john about infrastructure a bit a lot of talk about infrastructure improvements but only roads and bridges what about power grid airports ports at all at all which is and all he means by that yeah well, actually, if you look at the infrastructure proposal that the Biden administration has fleshed out, it does include a lot more than even what you talked about. It does include uh, power grids, airports, ports, uh, telecommunications. There's a lot of things that need to be upgraded that previously were put in by the government or financed by the government. One of those things where government has legitimate roles, according to any philosophy of government that you might have. The defense of the country is obviously one of them. Another one is the infrastructure of the country. It's it's more than can be done locally because it's like the interstate highway system is an example. It helps us tremendously. The railroads were supported by the government. Um, the, and let me let me throw this in here because I feel like it's important. Politics are touching the economy here, and I would rather defuse the politics for a second and say that the Biden administration's plan on infrastructure is not very different than the Trump plan on infrastructure, which was also not very different than the Obama plan on infrastructure. Obama wasn't able to get it done and neither was Trump. So this is about as apolitical a deal as you can get, but it's in a very political time. So just know that and hopefully hard feelings and hot feelings will come down so that we can come together as a country. It doesn't matter, in my opinion, if this is Donald Trump or or Joe Biden, this is a deal we need as an investment in the country. Go ahead. And I think the idea of spending $2 trillion is, if you look at the, the independent analysis that's been done by government agencies, during the Trump administration, that's where the $2 trillion came from. 
we really need about $2 trillion worth of upgrades in the economy. Now, we can't do it all in one year, but spreading it out over a four-year period makes sense. Uh, and it's it's a reasonable amount of money to spend. And you may think it's not. You may think that $2 trillion is entirely excessive. It's not. It's one thing to borrow money and waste it on something. Like, it's another thing to borrow money and use it to do something that's productive that will increase the economy's flow, increase the tax return of the government. That is, and infrastructure is one of those places that works very, very well. Now, infrastructure and military, those two things, on the surface of it, it just looks really expensive. But they're designed, one, infrastructure is designed to increase growth in the economy. And the defense is designed to keep shrinkage away from the economy, keep that negative growth that economists like to talk about away because of invasions and so on, or because a, a, a good trading partner of ours is invaded. Well, that and, and the United States Navy, which gets a big chunk of the money that's that goes into the defense bill, keeps the sea lanes open and keeps pirates out of the sea lanes and, and makes sure the nation states in this particular case, China, don't block off sea lanes that would restrict commerce. Remember that it's only money is made when goods and services move around. If they're static, there's no money made. The more trade that exists, the more the economy grows. And whether we like it or not, international trade, global trade, is the reality of what we have. We cannot make enough in the United States we simply can't eat. We can't provide enough services in the United States to meet our economy. If we were cut off from the rest of the world, we'd enter into a recession and go promptly from there to a depression. It's good to remember that one of the reasons that the Great Depression exists is because the United States chose to go isolationist and cut itself off from the rest of the world. And when we did, even though at that point, just like today, we were importing more than we were exporting during the period of time just when the Great Recession was coming. The fact that we cut ourselves off from the world caused a shortage of a lot of things in the economy. It caused deflation and it caused a massive depression and it caused about a third of all American workers in the United States to lose their jobs. Let's not do that again. Yeah, let's not. And uh, one of the reasons we have a Navy and one of the reasons we spend so much on the military is to make sure that the transportation lanes, the what the Army calls lines of communication, stay open around the world. I think that's vitally important. I don't want to spend too much time on this, though it is a really important subject in the terms of defense since we're there. We have pretty clearly in the United States just gone through a very severe hack from Russia. Secretary of State Pompeo just laid the blame at their feet very directly. The president hasn't said anything, but he and... Uh, the Secretary of State are pretty good buddies. So if the Secretary of State's saying it, then the President hasn't said, don't say it. What it comes down to is that some of our major governmental institutions were hacked by the Russians. Some of our major corporate institutions were hacked by the Russians. And it's a very large-scale event. They did it by using our focus on recounts and so on on the election to rather than mess around too much with the election, they just opened up all our files and started digging through them. Uh, it's a big deal, and it's a wake-up call. Hopefully it's a wake-up call, if we can wake up from it. 
uh, or we could just stay sleeping. If we wake up, it means that we need to put some some really serious infrastructural spending on the security of the infrastructure, on making sure that we don't get hacked the same way of physical switches to stop this sort of thing. That's I, I don't know if enough people are aware of the danger of this hack or the magnitude of this hack to be woken from our day-to-day arguments over whether or not the senators in Georgia should be Republican or Democrat. We got a heads up here, folks. We've got to make sure that our security is, is foremost uh, on this debate. It isn't part of the debate at the moment. Okay. Well, that, that was all I wanted to say on the subject. We talk about upgrading our infrastructure. One of the things that's going on is much of the computer infrastructure in U.S. agencies and U.S. departments in the United States are outdated, way outdated. They're ancient pieces of equipment. Uh, they, some of them go back to the 1970s, which is absurd, but it's true. But we need to upgrade all of that. And the other thing, and this is something that applies to you. Me? To all of us. Oh. Hackers use your computer if they can Hackers use private computers to redirect things. And you may, it's kind of like COVID. You could wind, you could wind, have a silent, invisible set of COVID viruses running around inside of you, and you could be spreading it and not knowing it. The same thing is true with your computer. It's really important that you run current Microsoft Defender or some good antivirus program in your computer at all times. The other thing is, that you should be very, very careful about answering emails or opening attachments on emails or clicking uh, links in emails. If it's from somebody you know, for instance, if we at the Personal Wealth Co. send you an email and we say, here's the here's the thing you need to do, it is probably a good idea to call and check to make sure it's us. If you were expecting that particular email, then it's probably safe to open it and work with it. If you're not, if somebody, if and I've had, and I mentioned this before, but it's still true, USAA, which is a very secure organization, has appeared to send me emails on several occasions with all the proper markings on there. Wells Fargo has done the same thing. And I immediately recognized that they were asking me to click a link, which USAA never does. So I contacted USAA and found out it was, in fact, an attempt to hack my computer. Had I clicked that link, the possibility exists that my computer could be could be occupied. And that is perhaps the way this particular hack occurred. We don't know. We will never know. But the point is, a hack occurred years ago. And the Russians have been inside SolarWinds computers. And as SolarWinds put out updates, and you know that you get updates from Microsoft or whatever source you're using regularly, the they gained access to everybody else's computers too. So be very, very careful about this. Uh, there've been some computers, people I know who work on computers who uh, got computers in and said, my computer's running really, really slowly. And they found it was so full of uh, software from somebody else. That's why it was running very, very slowly is because it was being used as a, as a secondary transmission point for attacks on other people's computers. If you, if you, if you don't have, good antivirus software running, good protection virus, up-to-date protection virus programs running in your computer, you're quite 
possibly the source of some of the problem at this point. It's kind of like wearing a, a mask. Yeah. And social distancing. It's not perfect, but it beats the heck out of not doing it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that this hack did show is that something we've already known. We our, our US, The U.S. military is the best in the world. Uh, there's, there's really no doubt about that. It's so far ahead of everybody else. There's no real comparison. This hack has shown that the Russian security services hackers are the best in the world. We've got better programmers. We've got better programmers on our defense teams. But all it takes is one mess up from the defender, and they're in. They have to be vigilant all the time. Where the hackers just get, you know, this is our one opportunity. Let's focus in on the one weakness we found. That's what's going on here. They're really good at identifying weaknesses and what they did this time around is they used completely new tools to do the hacking. Absolutely new. They devised them just for this. And that's really unusual, really rare. We need to have some defense set up on the elite side whose whole job is not just on the software stopping, but on the physical network stopping of hacks like this. And that's harder to do it takes more money to do it but it's much more redundant when we get a, a software hack if you turn the manual switch on your computer off guess what your computer stops emailing all your friends the hackers information for them to get hacked as well uh, that physical switch is really important the ability to physically switch a network physically switch a computer for security purposes is vital. It's one of the benefits that the Chinese have gotten by being so horrible about their internet is that they could shut down this hack in a, in a millisecond by just turning off all the network. We can't do that. We don't have that ability. We have a free network. Well, we need to have the corporations with the ability to shut down the portions that they know are, are hurt. And that's an infrastructural thing the government needs to be involved to help with. And I, I refer in, in, in person rather than on the air to FireEye and SolarWinds are a lot like the Pinkerton Detective Agency of the late 1800s. Before we had the FBI, the U.S. Marshals could go across boundaries, but generally just stayed where they were, which is why Billy the Kid could go from New Mexico to Texas and be fine. We don't have a federal system to help with the, the cyber warfare side of thing in the same way that we should. The president, President Trump, uh, initiated a, a task force, force this year that's still in the process of being developed and I hope the incoming president doesn't scrap it just because he didn't like the current president. I hope that it gets funding and is, is a high priority. Okay, so I think we beat that one up. We've got some commercials that we need to play. That's the fact. Uh, so if you'd like to ask us a question about any of this stuff, uh, we've got emails available at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. And we're back with more of the Personal Wealth Coach. This is Jake McClure, and on the line with me, I have... Jeff McClure. Together we are bald. I well, say, together, 
also the personal wealth coach. Oh, yeah, that, that too. We are also the personal wealth coach. Um, I just thought I'd tell them the most important parts. Um, yes. So what do you have to talk about for the next 15 minutes? Well, I just think it's interesting that 100 years ago, there was a recession that, was, that lasted in 1920 to 21. Yeah. And we've got a recession this year that's from, that's 2020 to 21. And last year, we, last 100 years ago, we had a mass, we had a viral infection that turned into a pandemic. We called it the Spanish flu, although more recent information has let it, indicates that it may have originated in Kansas. But calling it the Kansas flu would be too pedantic, I think. So we won't do that. Um, and it's interesting how we're following a hundred year cycle. We had a, uh, banking panic to do with real estate speculation in 1908. And we had one in 2008 and 2009 in the United States. Uh, there's a lot of things that are running in hundred year cycles. And there's a lot of reasons for that, that appear to be popping to the surface again. For example, Americans have a record quantity of cash in their households and in corporate coffers right now. And when I say record, I don't just mean dollar record. As a percentage of GDP, it's a percentage of the size of the corporation or household. We have a lot of cash sitting there. And by the way, we're building up more of it right now because people are afraid that things could get worse, which they could do, by the way, particularly with a new strain of the virus coming. So people have saved up a lot of cash. But what happens when vaccination becomes widespread enough that we're no longer spreading the disease around and the numbers start to fall off dramatically? So somebody says it's over. You can go back to normal behavior, which could occur later this year, late this year. There's a tendency for things to revert to the mean, which means that all that cash may not immediately come out, but there's, there's people look around and say, look at all this cash we have. And as interest rates start to go up, they'll say, we need to put this someplace where we can earn something on it. When that happens, and by the way, it happened 100 years ago, we could see the beginning of an economic boom that could turn the 2020s into the roaring 20s of the 21st century. Yeah. So just to and, give you kind of an example of what a normal, we're looking at the it's called the M2. Um, you can go to the, the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis's website and look at their measurement of how much cash is floating around in the economy. And, well, it's not floating around. It's, it's kind of locked up in places. Right. Well, it's, it's floating around in the banks. It's, and actually, it's called float when it moves from one place to another. So you're right. It's locked up. Um, on January 6th, of 2020, there was about $15.33 trillion. That's with the T, not the B or the M. Trillion dollars in, uh, in the money supply. Uh, that, that is principally held by households. It, it includes savings deposits, money market deposits, uh, smaller CDs. Uh, that's less than 100000 and uh, retail money market mutual funds. So $15.33 trillion in January. We are currently at $19.22 trillion. That's a significant increase. That's about a, a 25%, 27% increase in cash in the economy ready for use because people are scared. 
because of the pandemic. So people aren't uh, spending all their money. They're holding it in reserve. They're paying down their debt. Uh, what that means is that when we come through this, there's some possible dangers and possible opportunities. The danger is if that all moves at once, pretty unlikely, we could see some big inflation. If it's used the way it seems to be playing out, it goes into reinvestment in a lot of different areas. And that goes to that path that you were talking about with the roaring 20s of the 21st century. Although I'm not sure we'll have the flapper girl dance groups the way we did in the last roaring 20s. Well, you haven't kept up with current styles. Yeah, it's out there. I mean, a lot of a lot of millennials and, and Z generation are out there wearing flapper stuff. So, I mean, it's like Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. It is rhyming really hard right now. There's a tendency, there'll be a tendency over the next decade, if we do repeat history, to overspend and overspeculate and get a little crazy towards the end of it. And if that happens, just be aware of the fact that everything that goes up must come down and trees don't go to the sky. In other words, well, it depends we could, on where does the sky start? It's up there where it's blue. And, oh yeah. Uh, if you go up there, you can't find it. So they never grow that high. Unless, that there's a, unless there's a tree in the international space station or which, in a 747. I don't know if 747 gets all the way up to where we call the sky, but at any rate, the point is, that we're going through a hard time right now. The market is anticipating a good time. The oil markets are anticipating a good time. And the, the treasury interest rates look like they're anticipating a good time. We're going to go through probably a rough time in the first quarter in the winter. We could easily slip back into a second leg of the recession. But the big thing that keep your eye on is all this cash and once we return to normal a lot of people are going to go out and spend their money they're going to go out and go out to eat they're going to go to movies they're going to go on cruises they're going to go on vacations and they're going to buy things they've been putting off and i think that we're likely to see a very very healthy booming economy and within a couple of years sounds good um uh, this is an update the economist gave kind of a nice thing a decade back we're coming on the end of the year so it's nice to take a moment to look back 10 years ago we had a little something going on called the arab spring and uh what's happened what's happened since then so the economist has put out uh, through their economist intelligence units democracy index a map of northern Africa and the Saudi, Yemen, Oman, Iraqi, Jordan, Syria area. And it doesn't look that different as far as color goes. It's pretty much mostly authoritarian regimes still, even though they all got knocked out and then replaced by democracy and then got knocked out again and replaced by regimes. Um, Tunisia, which is where the Arab Spring started, is still a democracy. But according to The Economist, it's called a flawed democracy. It's on its way over to a hybrid regime and then an authoritarian. Um, So what we can fairly clearly say is that the Arab Spring was not a democratic movement. It was a, we've talked about this in the past, it was a massive lack of wheat 
the bread riots are what started the Arab Spring in Tunisia. And as the governments of Northern Africa were able to buy more and more bread and give it for free to the people again, they went right back to being authoritarian regimes. Uh, Libya uh, had its fall from grace because they required people to buy their bread, or before they hadn't. So Muammar Gaddafi withstood all of the sanctions, withstood the uh, the extreme pressure from the rest of the world to loosen up. It took bread prices going up so much that the Libyan government couldn't give it away for free for the people to rise up and knock him out of power, but he's been replaced by a different authoritarian regime. And that's just interesting. Um, it's kind of a, a, a way of looking over there and saying, what's happened in the last 10 years? Well, not much. If you just looked at the map 10 years ago and today, you wouldn't know anything had happened. Something new that I'm sure you've looked at and I'm sure you're very interested in. Walmart is going to take, going to run driverless trucks in Arkansas and then later in Louisiana in 2021. Yeah. Um, they're going to be relatively short runs. The New Orleans, there's a, about a 20 mile run from the New Orleans Supercenter and a Metairie, Louisiana pickup point, And they will have driverless trucks. Now they've had driverless, they've had automated trucks running these routes already but they've had a driver to monitor. They're actually going, they've gotten permission to uh, using a company called Gatec or Gatic. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. They, they're looking at what's called the middle mile delivery. In other words, if they have a pickup point where the people actually pick up goods and services and the place where it's stored, that's a regular route. It's a known factor. They don't have to hunt around. Uh, we're starting this, the driverless trucks are starting to show up in that area. That's pretty big stuff. That is an amazing jump forward. Uh, we're going to see more and more driverless vehicles on the road. And I think with the cities and states approving it now, we'll see more and more. We'll, you'll probably have the opportunity before too long to see driverless trucks on I-35. Yeah. I've already seen two. Yeah, yeah, because Texas allowed them for testing purposes for a short period of time. Uh, and so I have seen driverless trucks. Now, there was a person in the truck as it was driving, which wasn't driving, but is the backup thing. Um, yeah, driverless technology. People asked me years ago, what are we going to call a driverless car? It's too big a thing. And my answer to that is you're going to call it a car. At some point, all cars will be driverless. You'll just have a car. I don't know if you've also read this, but Cruise is testing driverless cars without a safety driver in the urban environment of San Francisco. Yeah. And that's picking people up and dropping people off. That, that is a big shift because they started in Phoenix. Phoenix has very wide, very well-marked roads with not a lot of weather shifting. It's mostly not rainy there. The fact that they are doing this in San Francisco, which is famous for fog and squirrely streets that go up at weird angles and squirm all over the place, it means the technology is getting mature. It's going to be not long before that stuff starts spreading. I'm pretty excited about it. That's It's really awesome. By the way, there's a lot of undriven trucks on the highway today where the driver is mostly asleep. 
and it is a source of a lot of the accidents on the interstate. Matter of fact, one of the most dangerous things on the interstates is an 18-wheeler truck. You want to stay as far away from them as you can and be careful about them. And the reason is very simple. The drivers have been driving a long time, and even if they're getting their license rest, it's a very boring job. And they tend to get really sleepy at the wheel. And I got, I have this as testimony from 18-wheeler driver that I know and used to know very, very well. I used to work for me in the Army. Uh, he said, anytime, particularly a flatbed, because that's what he drives, that you're around a flatbed and you see one, assume the driver is half asleep. It's a pretty safe assumption. And uh, he, so I actually there's, Lots of evidence, and Tesla is probably the prime example that an auto automated driving car today is still is very significantly less dangerous than a car with a driver in it. Right. Well, last year at this point, we were doing our yearly wrap up and saying what to do in the coming year, and it sounded pretty prophetic when I was looking, listening back to it. Um, I, you can do that at our webpage, by the way. Go to the personalwealthcoach.com and listen to some of the. Uh, recordings of the radio program from a year ago. We were emphasizing that the market was doing great, the economy was doing great, but that you needed to focus on savings because anything bad could happen. To take the gains and not spend them all, to sock it away, put it in savings, sounded pretty prophetic when I was listening back to it now, but that's pretty much what we're going to say now too. Yes, the market is still, the stock and market, meaning the S&P 500, is still overpriced because in stocks driving it with their price ridiculously high. Historically, we can't tell you the future, but historically I can say that those stocks, when stocks get that high and they're driving the S&P 500, historically there's been a correction that was very painful that followed. We may not get it this time. The future is always uncertain, but the possibility definitely exists that that could happen early in the year. Right. And we're about out of time for this week. Thank you all for listening. Merry Christmas to you all. By the time we talk to you again on the radio, Christmas will have come and gone. I hope you uh, have the opportunity to share things uh, with social distance with your family and enjoy it to your heart's content. Merry Christmas. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, until next week, this has been the Personal Wealth Coach. If you'd like to contact us off the air locally, you can do that at 254-947-1111. Or you can reach us at 800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com. You can contact us through the form there. You can listen to podcasts, sign up for a newsletter, uh, or email us at jeff or jake at tpwc.com.